Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How's it going, Hello? everybody? Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this Ooh. show called Food for Thought. It's a podcast gab fest. We're in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, <gasps> identity, Ooh. culture, uh. what we like to read, and who we like to read. Uh, Food for Thought, where the mystery meat is always cock! <laughs> I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. I'm an indigenous American poet, screenwriter. I wrote four books in four years. And yes. Um, And today, uh, as of today, I have my third sex injury. Yes. It's very serious. Yeah. I'm Fran. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. And I'm really sorry that you guys are so sober right now. I, had, I, I didn't know that alcohol would not be served, and I just feel bad for all of you. But uh, anyway. Fran has been brainstorming backstage about how we can get wine in here for everybody. I but was like, well, yeah, too late, too late. I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and I catch feelings, not flights, because feelings are carbon neutral. Oh. Nerd! Oh my god. And hi, um, thanks for coming out. I'm Dennis Norris II, and I'm a reader and a writer, a former figure skater, and just call me a sprinkle, because there's a thought out there that has me thinking about topping. No! Uh, okay. Changes, y'all. Changes. Wow. Evolution. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm scared, like it. mom. Uh, <laughs> So, um, uh, Tommy, you had your third sexual in- in- yes, injury. Yes, I'm sometime. wearing the bracelet I have at the ER right now. <laughs> Woo! Guess who got stitches? <laughs> where though? Where teams? Uh, where? On my ankle. The problem. Okay, there was there. The thing is, there was a vase of flowers on the windowsill in the shower. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. that fell into the tub. And yeah. <laughs> Teams, what ha- was it that you saw the dick and you was like, not today, Satan? Uh, well, here's the thing. What happened was, so we had had um, a lot of tater tots with cheese sauce and then he wanted to stick it Ooh. in and I just like knocked it off like I was like a like a mean cat. Oh, and just, just like, Ooh. And but then you, I, no. I took the shard of glass and I shoved it in my ankle and I was like, can't Don't you dare. Yeah. I mean, we're, it, it was actually pretty harrowing though. Like I barely made it here. I was in Philly for like most of the day. <laughs> we're really glad you're here, but I we mean, are. I mean, if you didn't come, we would have just replaced you with Heron and it would have been better. It I feel, been but we're glad you're here regardless. Thank you. Oh. I mean, this honestly sounds like one of the least traumatic gay sex experiences that I've ever heard. To be honest. Uh, yeah, because you do some gross shit though. <laughs> you, you are, you're, you're truly special. disgusting. Oh, I'm bleeding during sex. It's a Tuesday. Oh, God. <laughs> we were just talking about Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, whatever yeah. you want to call it. I call it um, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, and how last year we both had the opposite, the inverted experience wherein I had a giant Thanksgiving meal, went home to get 
like to like n- my my sexual partner and uh-huh. I was like you will not enter me and I am filled with potatoes <laughs> I got on grinder I really trust my fleet routine so I got on sure grinder fully fleeted and went and got plowed by a stranger and it went swimmingly did it <laughs> did, did it? it are you did sure it? are those the reviews I, from I, this sure. <laughs> after two meals though that's really fucking that's, ambitious it, I yeah. mean it was it was ambitious and uh disgusting and nutritious it was perfect <laughs> she's like Hardworking thought. <laughs> Today's episode is all about teams. Woo! <laughs> first things first, we cancel Fran. <laughs> then Tommy sings. We get not bread but fed. And to ends, we must get rid of the toxic in our community. <laughs> Take it get away. We're going to play a little game called To Tweet or Not To Tweet. Have you guys ever heard of it? Um, If you haven't played this game before, basically, we're going to read uh, for you Twitter drafts that we have, things that we did not tweet, chose not to tweet for whatever reason. For good reason. And (laughs) And we are going to entrust you, the audience, to tell us whether we should or should not tweet it. So this is like, when I say that you will decide... I really do. Yeah. I'm trusting you, and and you, and I will. I I will judge whatever your answers are. And if if you say we have to tweet it, we are legally obligated to tweet and, it here on stage in front of you. If you live. say not tweet, we are legally obligated to delete it for forever. Delete yes. it forever. So there's consequences for both. Yeah. Tommy, do you want to lead us off? Okay. So all of my to tweet or not to tweets are about chicken tenders. Why? Um, Why? Why? I don't know. <laughs> Why, Tommy? <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, so this one is, if you send back a Grubhub order to KFC, do you mark it return to tender? <laughs> oh, that's pretty solid. Okay, to tweet or not to tweet. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're okay. enabling her. <laughs> Finally, the chicken content we were looking for. Um, okay. Uh, they make a two-minute podcast for kids so you can listen while you brush your teeth. But what if they made a two-minute podcast for douching, a douche cast? <laughs> so, like, you would, like, listen to the podcast while you're... It takes you, way oh. longer than two minutes. You hold the Hello? water. You Hello? hold the water for two minutes. This is why you can't, oh, get, bu- is why you can't get fucked on Thanksgiving, Fran. No. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, drag me live in front of this audience. Um, oh to tweet God. or not to tweet. I just don't know what to do first. I think I'm going to do this one first because my boyfriend hasn't yet arrived. Context. Quote, baby, you're a firework. Just picture the song is what I tell myself <sighs> when I come with chlamydia. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. God. Sing the song, though. I think we can help there's him a, out on this one. A, oh, there's my a God. Of fireworks. We get it. We get it. Delete. No, oh, it's no, 50, no, 50. no. That is 50 50. This is, this is, I don't think this is 50 50. I think the no's are a hell of a lot louder. Uh, all right. And Dennis. I agree with them. As someone invested in your future. It's a really good tweet. Don't make me delete it. I will, but don't make me. You guys. Do you hear the volume <laughs> difference? Do you hear it? I hear it. It's been table. 
I didn't I know that was an it. option. It's gone. That's so funny. Thank you. All of you are beautiful, wonderful, ethical saviors. Lies. All right. This is kind of old. Well, we'll see. No one. Absolutely no one. My pussy when a white man wearing boat shoes walks by. Twerk, 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 twerk. Boo. All right. Well, to tweet or not to tweet. Is it a no? It's a no. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have been meaning to try that. All right, Tommy. Tommy. (sighs) Okay. So once again, all my to tweet or not to tweets are about chicken tenders. We know. We know. We know. Got it. I uh, I have short term memory loss, so I I don't know how uh, other people will go. Uh, so this is an ode to chicken album with the lead single, <laughs> "Hey Big Tender." <laughs> ah! Okay. Wow! Uh, I'm pissed. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> to tweet or not to tweet. <laughs> <laughs> Heron? <laughs> How dare you? Uh, lactose intolerance won't stop me from milking your prostate. No. <laughs> Yikes. <clears throat> I think it's cute that y'all think that I'm actually going to tweet it. <laughs> uh, but I really appreciate y'all really, you know, looking out for me in that regard. Exactly. It is a contract, <laughs> Frangela. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this one I wrote very drunk at a bar and then forgot about writing, and I was at the bar in question as I wrote it. Here's the thing about Metropolitan Bar in Brooklyn. It smells like farts. If, if the bar smells like farts, oh my God, I'm sorry. no one can smell your farts. Oh. <laughs> I'm so... I was uh, farting in the bar. I was farting uh, in the bar. I'm so sorry. I literally did not mean to spoil your punchline. I've literally never heard that tweet before. And immediately I was like, farts. <laughs> Farting. <laughs> and um, as some of the people on stage know, I can be quite flatulent. Oh. <laughs> so it's just dead silence. Did you hear that? It's that my resonant bar. silence. <laughs> It's always just it, kind of like, do you have a digestive disorder? <laughs> like, what is going on, my friend? To quote, to quote Normani, ain't regular, that ain't regular. <laughs> there are so Work many on people that. on planes who have issues with Joe now. Oh, it's listen, I once sat next to a, a lesbian thing. couple and one of them did a nose plug at a <laughs> Honestly, fair. Um, Why don't you just not fart? <laughs> That's no. like an option you have. It is an option. <laughs> Disgusting. Anyways, to get up it. and go to the bathroom. Ugh, that's a thing too. Okay. This week, Robin Crawford admitted on the Wendy Williams show that she and Whitney had a whole ass plan to jump Wendy Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did. And I need someone to buy those film rights. I fully believe that playing Wendy Williams will win me my Oscar. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you for joining us in that lovely game of to tweet or not to tweet. <laughs> you can applaud. <laughs> LMAO. That was a Jeb Bush. That moment. was very Jeb Bush. Please <laughs> that was clap. A very Please clap. Good Jeb Bush. 
So for our second segment, we should, should, are we going to get off the stage? Yeah, we should. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. our second oh, yeah. segment, um, well, we're going to roast Tommy Teeves Pico. Uh, we're just going to let him know. I'm just kidding. Tommy's going to read from everyone's so disappointed now. <laughs> um, Tommy is going to read an excerpt from his forthcoming book called Feed. It's, out. it's not Ever forthcoming anymore. I th- right, of course. I knew that. <laughs> Thank you for briefing me ahead of time. Um, and yeah, we're so excited to hear from you, T. You! Yeah. Um, I spilled wine and dropped my phone. Ooh, okay. It's a mess. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Thank you for coming out. I mean... What I will say, I'm just going to stand behind these shows. I want to be central, and I also want to be standing. Um, And uh, thank you so much for coming out on a Tuesday night for poetry uh, and, like, essentially for the podcast. (laughs) Um, I really – I find that, like – I'm on tour right now. Uh, yesterday, I was in Philly. Tomorrow, I'll be in Seattle. The day after that, I'll be in Portland. So it's like one night after the other. And I've been so bowled away by the amount of people who've been coming out for this book and coming out for poetry. And because of that, I feel that I have like a responsibility to give you something that you wouldn't get anywhere else because you have decided to spend this time with me. And I want to make sure that I reward that time with an experience. Uh, some people call it a reading. <laughs> um, And so this book was a lot about, it's a culmination of a series that I started with IRL. And a lot of it has to do with being on tour. And this is the first time I've actually, I wrote it while I was on tour. My life is a perpetual tour. If I tour like six weeks every season, then I can take, that's basically rent. Um, But what it means is that I'm oftentimes like very, very, very lonely. And it's the first time on tour, this tour, I've actually felt not lonely at all. And very held. Um, and very seen and heard and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of about that kind of stuff and like uh, about tour and like dicks, and, like fucking and like stuff. And then like also food and like cooking with people and learning how to cook and nourishment and all that. And um, I think you're going to like it. So here we go. From Feed. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? He whispers black light, black out as his bitty big balls bounce against the throat of my taint. By which I just mean my taint. Uh, Dear reader, I'm a whore on a book tour and traveling is so romantic, ain't it? A ode that bodes of dynamism and gutter sluttery, a glittering sea of one night stand and kickstand dicks, camel blue ash and pit stain teas. Alexa, Siri, what time does Panda Express open? Panda Express, I mean James Brown, is dead. Crowbar cracking awake. Every fire hydrant on every corner of every city block and mainline that shit into my veins. Uh, I'm planted in a mustard yellow slip-ons at the waterfront of a new city made of mustard greens, metaphorical tetherball water features, and a literal city. Let's get bubbling let's get wet let's bold the buttock loaves at christina's bernal heights abode yes i become the kind of a person who says buttocks (laughs) instead of booty cheeks or ass clappers of pound cakes it's a new dawn it's a new day 
SEPTA, Charm City Circulator, MBTA. I'm sprouting a pink tank top at the bus stop of a new city made of absinthe bird sanctuaries, metaphorical troll doll jewel belly t-shirts, and literal britches. I mean bridges. I cracked my first egg ever for a cooking show in Berkeley where I made a spaghetti and chive frittata to serve a boy the morning after we presumably played dick butt. <laughs> the basics are my revelation. The Ann and Dewey sausage, the bacon tips, the ham hock, the scallions, the smoked paprika, bubble, bubble, the gumble, and Roy's Concordia apartment by the bakery where the dad, after a run, bought me a coffee while I was in line and slipped me his number. The Marta, the Mark the max. I've grown spray-on skinny, high-waisted, acid-washed old fashions at the hotel bar of a new city made of tucked-in black Wayne's World t-shirts, oh, dream weaver, and literal roundabouts, L-Train, Amtrak, a streetcar named I'm Tired, Portland, um, Portland, Oregon. There's a bunch of white people in a brew pub whose name is like two random nouns like sage and mortar or whimsy and pickles or straw and freddy krueger glove <laughs> expectant faces expecting me to smile back i don't do that portland maine the other white portland is a bunch of <laughs> is a bunch of full-leg pants and polypansexuals. <laughs> Dear reader, can you hear the moaning plane overhead? Feel the beating heat on your T-zone, the sizzle of foam on the water. Poems light up corridors of the mind like food. I grew up on a food desert a speck of dust on the map of the United States. An Indian reservation east of San Diego in a valley surrounded by mountains that slice through the clouds like a loaf, where the average age of death is 40.7 years old. I'm 35. I live in the busiest city in America. I'm about to eat orange. Every feed owes itself to death. Poetry is feed for the horses within me. Tonight, I'm pierogies. Ross pierogies. See, that's how you know the difference between generations, because some people get that and some people definitely do not. <laughs> Ross pierogies. Beer, battered fish tacos and jalapeno cornbread, aloe, lavender, under eye, nipple goops, obsessively checking my bank balance, and a vocal rest stop in Connecticut that has a Sbarro's, a pick and mix candy store, a Taco Bell, and a Chipotle. Proof that linear time is a goddamn sham. <laughs> Once. I wrote about being ancestrally from a desert. 
That drought made me restless, searching for a nourishing territory. You know how some people are all that? Well, I'm all appetite, hunger pang, an ambulance, siren speeding to another needy feeling, the vernal bend rendering the cell walls softer, pliable without fully spilling into each other. Shall I be a poem for you? I mean, I used shall, TBH, me AF, the human condition, SMDH, the Bible, LOL, bibliosexual, WTF, the library, IYK, WIM. No territory will ever satisfy me, AF. A cousin dies. Some overdose, another cousin has a daughter, an incel man plows into people with a truck in Toronto, mostly women, and there are something like 70 million more men than, than women in China and India, and Roy says he's got a new metaphor, except it's not a metaphor, because a literal part of his heart has died, says the echocardiogram he got before starting a new med, but it's fine, he just needs to eat more farty salads, and Mami Lapinatapai is the most precise word, according to linguists, from the indigenous Yagan language of Tierra del Fuego. It means something like when you leave a cafe bathroom and you don't want to tell the next person in line, it wasn't you who took the smelliest dump in American history, but you keep walking. Hey, it means something more like when two people look at each other. And the look is that they both know what the other should do, but neither wants to initiate. So they sit in stasis. How in kumyai, in my language, chauka means hello, but more like, I see the fire that burns inside you. Dear reader, I can't stand in front of the audience in Columbus, Ohio, without wondering how that last person felt leaving the ancestral homeland for the Indian Territory. But I'm on the road. And when I'm in their home, I say their names. The Olone, Kostanoan, Muekma, Duwamish, Suquamish, Muckleshoot, Shawnee, Lenny, Lenape, Tongba, Tokoba, Pocoso, Pohoi, Uzita, Lumbi, Piscataway, Nakochtunk, Moltnoma, Anishinaabe, Ojibwa, Ottawa, Potawatomi. And Wilkes, after talking about her non-invasive surgery, says that John Krasinski, at 6'3", is the shortest of three brothers. The other six, eight, and six, nine, and I start to palpitate. Uh, my back arches so hard, I snap in half on the link light rail on the way to drop off my stuff at Riches and Cap Hill at ZZZ Space. And imagine being the mozzarella in between that fucking baguette. Are you kidding me? Six, eight, and six, nine. I need to be in a small closet in a shoebox apartment in the cut of the sticks, like totally alone, suffocating into a paper bag. And Jess texts me that she's got a mass inside her the size of an orange and that she's going under next week. And I'm practicing lines 
for when I officiate Becky's wedding, like some kind of grand metaphor about the golden hour and how that light, that sliver of golden light is light unlike any other light you'll ever encounter. Nothing we ever make can come close to that glow. Not a filter, not a software, not a bulb, a gathering of circumstances that produce the light of you right now in this moment. And someone tells me, you should wait five years in between publishing books. Like, what's the rush? And I'm like, did you not just read? My cousin died today and he was only two years older than me. And it's been this way my whole life, like, bitch. I would love to imagine being alive in five years, but I have these bones, you know? And just like that, I'm writing a poem, a poem a poem again. The ephemeral's big bloom, big bow and beautiful, sip spoonfuls of April air, the feral perfume. Razzle dazzle and jazz cigarettes in the June Jordan almond afternoon. It's spring. I'm tired of being grave. Let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about death. What a better time than in the face of spring and the spring ephemerals. A bloom so short it puts the fleet in fleeting feeling, which, okay, fleet is on sale for like 99 cents at Walgreens. Aha, spring cleaning. Rich and Willie and Chase talk about the Proud Boys stocking up Cap Hill, 70 strong, twice the size they were last year. Not to fight Chase in tones, they're mostly nonviolent frat boys trying to disrupt the community. And I feel like a backslash runneth through me, blood leaking from uncooked meat, not like Palestine protest, Jerusalem embassy massacre, or in Pakistan where the journalists disappeared, or Mogadishu bustling city center bombs, or ICE losing thousands of indigenous kids at every turn, targeting target rash, explosion of ticks nearing Lyme season again, targeting churches and sanctuaries and sanctuary cities and the bombs and the bombs and the bombs fly over state drones, fly over other countries. And the LOL president says, we tamed the continent and we aren't apologizing for America and murdered and missing indigenous women never, ever, 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 
ever get an article or a shout out or a headline but that white crisis actor lady who advocates for police brutality got water splashed in her face at a brunch spot or the mouthpiece of the regime getting denied service at a red hens or staffers bummed out at their treatment in public to outcry and it's like idk if I'm even here, like WTF. The ancient Egyptians used to worship cats, and now they're dead. Thank you. All, all poets read just like that. <laughs> We're here today to launch Tommy Pico's fourth I wrote this, but I don't know why. Fourth book butt baby into the world. Book butt baby? Yes, I did write that. After IRL and nature poem and junk, we have our runt of the litter, Feed. IRL, the first book, begins with Tommy in his 20s, running around the city, literally sleeping with any man. Teebs who- in his 20s. Let's put it, there's no, it's a, it's a character. <laughs> I shall rephrase. IRL begins with Teebs in his 20s. Thank you. Running around the city, sleeping with any man who has a window AC unit. (laughs) By junk, Teebs is yearning for something more sustainable, something that will make his mind and body feel more at ease, but he doesn't know how to get there. In junk, Teebs was eating M&M's, corn dog bites, pizza, cherry Cokes, Shake Shack, Snickers, and a pack of Peeps, and the popular American... Corn snack. Funyuns. Objectively delicious. In feed, we have a recipe for vinaigrette, leeks, and asparagus, jalapeno cornbread. Junk is the eggplant emoji, and feed is homemade baba ganoush. I want to talk about writing our lives as we live them, about caring for our bodies and our futures, and about the role that food plays in our friendships and chosen family. But to start... My murder of thoughty crows. Can you cook? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> can you, Dennis? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm the I... only one on this podcast that can actually cook because Joe thinks he can cook. Joe can cook. Joe can cook. No, Tommy okay. has no, eaten no, no. my food. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Joe needs to work on his presentation because <laughs> that's like, Joe, true. Joe will tweet and it'll be like the most beautiful, just going to be like, uh-huh. oh, like, to a twice baked beef Wellington with a puff pastry and pepitas and yes. and then you and then and you then like it, see the photo and it looks it like looks like poo. shit. Have you, <laughs> look, it literally have looks you not like watched shit. the Great British Breaking Show where they always say taste over style? They say style over substance, but yes, I get no, what you meant. No, yeah. no, they say no. substance over style. No. Right, my point. Right. They but say the opposite of what yeah. you just said. I don't know. I think they say style over substance. They fully do not, Fran, in your turtleneck and your perfectly coiffed mustache. Anyways, I know that we have we actually have this recurring joke that like if we were on Queer Eye, that yeah. like Joe, because he's the emotional one, would be like mm. the Karamo uh-huh. life coach, and then oh, I God. would oh, no. I would I would handle clothes, grooming, interior design, everything. Uh, <laughs> Just there would only the be things. two thoughts but, on Queer Eye. But the other thing is that I like know I'm like, what's the one who builds the houses? Bobby. <laughs> like, 
Well, that, <laughs> like, that's fully my probably life. The, where I'm just yeah, like, I go into yeah. everyone's house with like a fucking hammer and drills, and I'm like, you need something up on you the wall. Do, you, you do. Are you do very handy. Yeah, you do have very handy. Very handy. Uh, very handy. Uh, regardless of what Fran says, I can't cook. Oh, you can cook. Joking. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And Fran is an incredible cook. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. Truly. That's Tommy. I mean, the whole par- project of this book was me learning how to cook. Yeah, talk uh, to us about that. Yeah, so part of it was that, like, uh, at the the curriculum for this book was that I could only watch food television shows um, and food movies. I could only read food books. I could only listen to food podcasts. I could only eat things that I cooked myself. And I had Ooh. to cook with other people twice a week in their wow. kitchen. Wait, did you watch Eat, Pray, Love? Oh, no. Did you watch <laughs> Chocolat? I did, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> At least you got one. Chocolat is... It's a pretty good movie. Uh, it's exquisite. <laughs> it is. Are you it kidding is. me? It's beautiful. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, so that was a part of it. And a part of it was because, like, as an indigenous person in occupied America, uh, coming from a tribe in Southern California, a lot of my culture, uh, almost all of them, were stolen from me uh, in my grandmother's generation in the Indian boarding schools. And with that was a kind of food knowledge. And also, like, when you think about what food does and is not just for people but for communities Mm -hmm. as a place of solace as a place of storytelling as a place of comfort as a place to make sure that you take care of other people to take that away from a people in addition to outright killing them is just so fucking cruel Mm -hmm. and part of it was me wanting to uh, have food stories with people because they had been robbed by me and my tribe and that was the point of cooking with people because I always wanted to what I wanted to do is when I cook with people i was like so what is like what's the first thing that you learned how to make or Mm. when you go to the cookout what does everyone want you to bring Mm. you know or what's the thing you love making the most or what's Mm. your staple food or what's your comfort food or what's your show-off food because Mm -hmm. inevitably there would be stories in there Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. there would be like my friend paul was talking about he learned how to cook with his brother Mm. you know or my friend liz who learned how to cook like that she didn't know how to cook before she um got married and so cooking was a ritual that she got to do with her husband that's how Mm. they got to know each other a little bit better you know and or like my friend christina who we cooked her grandmother's red sauce and she had just recently passed and she didn't know if she wanted to make her grandmother's sauce but she was like i think given the project of the book she was like i think my grandmother would love this Mm. and so she shared that with me Mm. that's beautiful i mean like it's it's such a great testament to like what is food without a story you know what i mean like what like if you're not eating if you're eating something and it doesn't have like a history behind her doesn't have something that you can latch on to it it loses so much life and you know there's a lot of times where like this story is like better than the food. You're like, oh, this is my <laughs> my great grandma's Irish soda bread, and you're like, mmm, <laughs> thank you. Um, but at other times, it's just like it's a beautiful story, and it just enriches the experience. It's, um, it's so true. So I I have had this very complicated relationship to food my whole life in part, like, growing up in the figure skating world and food is, like, kind of a bad thing sometimes, like, in certain sports. Um, But what's interesting is that, like, I don't feel like I have this super 
intense like history with it because my mom kind of bucked all of the foods that she grew up doing so that she could learn how to cook the things that my dad loved from his childhood, which was a very Southern childhood. So like from the very beginning, I've always thought of food as like this thing that's like an obligation that you take on for other people. And one of the interesting things about becoming good friends with Fran through the show is that like Cooking is how Fran, both Fran and Joe in particular, but cooking is how they show love for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's kind of opened my mind because I famously have always been like, I don't cook. I don't know how to cook. I tell the men that I date, I'm like, listen, I can't cook. If you think you're going to get a little femme gay who's going to be in the kitchen every night cooking you dinner. You would look right? good like, in an apron. I, I do look good in an apron. <laughs> I have I have played the role before. <laughs> But it was fully acting. Her but, cakes never rise. Yeah. <laughs> oh my um, God. Her cakes stay risen. <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's get the quote. Put them but in the, the proving drawer, Dennis. I, but the point is that like, I have this drawer. very complicated relationship. But I, I will tell you this. a couple, And this goes to the sort of conversation around food and community, which I think is, is maybe sort of basic in some ways, but is really, really important to any conversation around food. It was when I first formed a really close group of friends in New York and we started doing like a friends giving friends miss kind of thing four years ago. And I was, and this, they were all white, love them to death, but like having macaroni and cheese at like Thanksgiving was not a thing for them. And like, for me, it was a thing. So I was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you mac and cheese. Like I'm going to make you a really good mac and cheese. And so I literally spent hours scouring the internet for what I thought was going to be the tastiest mac and cheese recipe. And then I made it. And I, because I'm anxious, I waited until the last minute. Oh, no. And I did it. No, no, no. It turned out amazing. I actually made it for my family for the holidays. They loved it. And I was like, oh, I see how this, this, this too is an act of love. Like, Mm. this is a thing that I can do to show people that I care for them and that I want to nurture them. And so it's, um, I've just sort of quietly in my own head been undertaking um, the responsibility of learning how to cook a little more and treat myself when mm-hmm. I'm home every night. Because, Discreet because project. Of it. Discreetly. I, uh, speaking quietly. Of, oh, I was just going to say, I just love the idea of, of you talking about, you know, cooking as showing love because, yeah. you know, you famously can't cook and I famously can't show love. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh my and gosh, here we really, are. That really equals little, out. Our little, but yeah, our little thing. I mean, that, <laughs> I, I feel very caught in the middle. <laughs> speaking of, oh, speaking, don't pretend you don't like to be caught. Speaking of intimacy issues, has everyone read feed? Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I feel like you're um, thing. So do you all feel like sharing space and cooking with people is a way that you build or make community? I don't want anyone to have to eat my food. <laughs> That's I the ate thing. your food, you team. Did truly you? Said that you so many it. times. No. No, it was a blue apron and Joe cooked it. It was a blue apron and it was 60-40 teams on the cooking. I, you know, I and can't claim it that. it was pretty you good. Know, I can't Ooh. claim that. I, can't, I, I can say good. what it is that I do well and I could do that till the day is long and cooking is not one of them, my <laughs> friends. But, um, but I do, but you know, it's increasingly something that I do for myself. I, Again, wouldn't wish that on other people. But I do remember one of the first times that we got together outside of the studio. We went to Fran's apartment and you made us a wonderful, gorgeous and delicious brunch. Is that how how long have you been doing that? Like having having people over and cooking for them and. Uh, my mom famously, like when I was like seven, taught me how to make scrambled eggs. And then like I, you know, started making them. And then every time we would have breakfast, my mom would be like, 
oh my gosh, Francisco makes the best scrambled eggs. He should make them for the family. And like Aww. that like that like wasn't true because I was seven. But like <laughs> she she would like encourage me to explore cooking. And that's kind of like how I started. But I really love that. I, I, I mean, one of my, you know, favorite things about uh, particularly queer food spaces is that when you create like a, an exclusively queer space that is like psychosocially safe and then also like beautiful <laughs> and then also tons of food, there's just like this kind of like great equalizer yeah. of like everyone sitting at the table space. It doesn't matter like what your background is or like who you're breaking bread with. Like it's just beautiful. Like it's a mm. communion. And I, I, there's something about that that just like it is a part of like every way that I like to entertain and, sh and show love because I can't in any other way. <laughs> <laughs> it's odd, friend. We have something in common in that the reason I, <laughs> what? I know. <laughs> The reason I feel like I know how to cook is because I actually, it was a chore in our house. Once a week, my sister and I both had to cook dinner. And so like from growing up from this age, you're in the kitchen and that just gives you the intuition, the sense of like what to do and what not to do. And also the sense that like the way that I cared for my family growing up, you know, when mostly your family is caring for you, but the way that I care for my family was it was my job to feed them once a week, you know, and to be responsible for that. And if it was too much salt, Everyone had to suffer through too much fucking uh, salt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, a, and it was a lot of pressure in a way, but it also made me feel grown. And it also, in this odd way, like back where I grew up, boys didn't cook. We were not taught to cook. That was not a part of our yeah. job. That was not a boy chore. Yeah. My other chores involved, you know, like making kindling. If there was no kindling in the house to start a fire, I was in trouble. If I didn't cook on Tuesday night, I was in trouble. And so I was very lucky in a way that I, I was raised in a place where um, by my parents, not by the outside world, outside of my house. I forgot that you literally had like the most little house on the prairie, like all <laughs> like, Literally. Like, making fully. kindling? Did everyone hear that? <laughs> oh my God. Maybe I'm like kind of children. We didn't. My family fully did not have electric heat until I was like four. I'm kind of aroused. <laughs> <laughs> my well, dad is fully a force too, who wears nothing but flannel. My daddy is a daddy. I'm oh, sorry. He does oh, not listen to the show. Don't he clap. Don't yeah. clap. The opposite of um, Jeb Bush. Don't clap. <laughs> That's a not tweet situation. Kenya. That's a not tweet situation. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, because I want to piggyback off you, Joe, for a second, because you were talking about re uh, uh, relationships and responsibility. And <laughs> Fran had brought, brought up, you know, uh, intimacy. Intimacy issue. Um, and, I, you know, in this book, the character of Teebs... Um, <laughs> Uh, be, is responsible, I think, for the first time for a relationship. It's not necessarily a romantic one, yeah. but it is the fermentation of a romantic relationship into a friendship, right? So the, the how how that that X goes from being a, both like a romantic thing to a fixation to maybe even like a hatred or a fetish to a thing that doesn't even exist, then back into a person that you how, incorporate into your life. And how like, tall was he? Oh, allegedly, because this is a work of fiction. <laughs> uh, six five. Oh my yeah, god. Um, yeah. But but no. like, um, how do you feel about uh, being friends with exes? <laughs> I don't feel anything about it. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm truly not friends with like any of my. I'm friends with maybe one ex. But what was I'm, the difference? Uh, the difference between that one ex and the rest of them. Um, I don't know. We continued to fuck long after. Maybe oh! that was it. But I don't know. Maybe I it mean, was that. Yes, yeah. that's a good reason. I'm against it. 
Like I've <laughs> talked about this on the show. It's very, I'm like, if you didn't want me, I don't want you. Like it's, it's not a thing, but I think that like, for me, it comes from a long, like I have like presented very feminine for most of my life. And I think that like, so often I was told like early on, like, oh, I'm not attracted to you, but like, mm-hmm. I would love to be your friend. And I've also uh, never yeah, had yeah. any trouble making friends. So then I'd be like, that's <laughs> cute that you want to be my friend, but I already have 30 other friends over here that I don't have enough time to see. So like, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Like, no. So I want <laughs> But it's interesting because, um, I don't know, as the, as the world is changing and my relationships are changing, I'm, for the for the last couple of years, I've been in relationships with people where I'm not completely offended by the idea of being friends with them mm. after. <laughs> and I, I have not Gross. I have not made it a practice, but it's sort of like I have moments now where I'm just like, oh, sometimes I miss that guy. Like what like every few months, I'm like, oh, I, I I'd love to be like, oh, here's what's happening in my life right now. Like what's mm. happening to you? And mm. and so it's 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 just it's an evolution. It's a constant evolution around um, community and who you want to let into your life and who you want to be intimate with, and in all of the different ways in which you want to be intimate. Does it's, that sort of make sense? I mean, it totally does. It's just again, we're opposite people. Yeah, Whereas you sociopathically grow- need to be friends with your ex. Everyone until, until I started going to therapy, right? And now right. I'm now I'm like burn them down. It's I mean, it's, listen. Uh, yeah. Doc- Doctor Eric has earned his salary. Doctor yeah. Eric earns. I don't know who but, he you know, is, but my, my my best friend is an ex, right? My best friend, everyone on the, who listens to the podcast knows Whitney. My best friend is my ex. Love that, you, baby. That, she's amazing. It's it's a space where like we came out of the relationship in in a space where we were in conversation with one another, being accountable to one another, building a future together purposefully, uh, and there was no harm or abuse done from one person to the other. And my sort of pathological need to be friends with all of my exes, even when there was like abuse or harm done, actually was a way to abuse myself. Uh, and it was a way, you know, it's to put it back in the metaphor of food. It's like to keep eating something toxic. It's like you're addicted to something and it gives you a certain high. So you keep eating it. But like, actually, no, it's much healthier to put the Funyuns down. But the Funyuns are so good. They are so but, good. But, but what you do is you find good. a boy on Grinder who looks kind of like your ex, and then you eat those Funyuns <laughs> like once a month. And just no. chase them down with a white claw. Just <laughs> crack, no. crack yes! Mm-hmm. So uh, wait, Tommy, are you friends with your exes? Well, what I want to say Did first... Did you have exes? I want to say first about uh, uh, Funyuns is that when I was reading from Junk and I went through Canada at a certain point, and I was like, the popular American corn snack, Funyuns. And I'm like, they're Funyuns because they're fun onions. Funyuns, get it? And they were like... Like, we don't have Funyuns here. And I was like, <laughs> it's, 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 stranger in a strange land. Like, have, I don't know what have, I'm doing They here. have nationalized public health care, but no Funyuns. No funyuns. <laughs> I wonder if those two things are correlated. <laughs> uh, but I traditionally, I don't know. I felt like it was too much of a pride thing. You know, I felt too wounded uh. by their not wanting me or them, me not wanting. There, there, was, some, there was some deficit of desire mm. that made me feel like, I'm going to burn this shit down. But um, recent, I mean, when I started writing this, I kind of um, started to reconcile with a couple of different exes. And, and it just happened to come in during spring, which I feel is like a season of reconciliation. It's mm. kind of like a suture between winter and summer. And it's, and I like the fact that like spring, well, that if there is there, I think ultimately reconciling with an ex meant that we needed to not be around each other for a very long time. Cause yeah. I got too into yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. where it was like, we tried too soon and we just ended up fucking 
And we got into the same dynamic that we always had, that we were like a couple of like binary stars and we only showed the same face to each other. We never showed each other the other side. And like, what's the point of trying to evolve that relationship? You're just going to fall into the same kind of a gravity. Right. But Uh, And because this book had started off as a commission from the Highline Park in New York, I was supposed to write something where you would get uh, in at 13th Street and Gansevoort or whatever and then walk through and then exit at like the Hudson Rail or whatever, the Hudson Yards. Um, I had to do a lot of my research in the wintertime in like February because it was for their spring ephemeral launch. And so I read a lot about the Highline and a lot about the gardens and a lot about how the history of the park was such that it used to be uh, an above ground train that would take in goods and like food specifically and like ship them all around. Like the mm. last train on the Highline uh, shipped a bunch of turkeys at Thanksgiving. So it was always shipping like eggs and cheese and butter and meat, greens, beans, potatoes, etc. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Shirley Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> but that, um, but that, like after it was like containerized shipping and like trucks and all that kind of stuff left the train derelict because there was no reason for it to be there anymore. And so for decades, it just became this like. Uh, uh, Edenic hanging garden that was completely wild and like you know I have friends who are native New Yorkers who just go up there and like get high and like drink 40s mm-hmm. and shit like that and like um, the the park was to when they turned it into a park they were trying to recreate that wilderness mm-hmm. with like a very curated and careful wildness where they mm-hmm. were like trying to um uh, plant and sow this garden full of so many different microclimates because mm. you know like in one stretch of the Highline, you know you're uh, this is so great because i've never been able to do this book with new yorkers before it's always in some Ew. other place it's always in minneapolis or like toronto or san francisco it's like a metaphor but y'all know what the Highline is and uh so like some buildings like their shadows crisscross against certain parts of the park so like they never really get that much sunlight right, and right, some right, are right. only ever get sunlight light and so it creates these little microclimates and so the parks um the 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 friends at the high of the park the people who are planning the gardens are trying to figure out the constant project of that park is figuring out which microclimates grow with each other and that it is a constant project but i love this idea that as like it's spring as i'm writing this thing as i'm reconciling with a couple of exes Mm. the thing that i'm learning is that this park before it knew what it was supposed to be it had to go derelict. It mm. had to become something completely different before it could become <laughs> the thing that it was. And I was just like, yes, redacted. We had to not be around each other for years. Mm. I had to recalibrate my pheromones and so did you. We had mm. to not be around each other and be whole adults in our lives with, without, having, without recollecting each other anymore so that when we came back as adults, understanding Mm. that just because we had an attraction to each other, it didn't mean we were meant to be together. (laughs) Right. And that, and that, that ultimately like our fruition as friends came with a, um, with this idea that we weren't surrendering to each other anymore, Mm. that we were just standing in front of each other. I I have a question about that. Poet. (laughs) How dare you? Also, standing in front of someone is the most terrifying thing. It's so funny, the way you talk about this, um, this notion of sort of wilderness and then regaining, sort of ignores the act of the curator. 
in the High Line, right? Like the curator in the High Line, the curator then I guess the metaphorically to writing the story that is your relationship. Because, you know, a curator sort of gets to sit above. For the High Line, they literally killed everything and planted whatever they wanted. For your relationship, who gets to curate that? Who's the one? It's sort of like two people in tension or conversation. Is there is there sort of a metaphorical link for that rebuilding process well, also? apropos of real life, Maybe it's different. Apropos of writing a book, <laughs> I raised that ground and I made that new park bitch. <laughs> but it's but it's a craft. That's the thing. Like it's not it's not a diary. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's not a, a journal. It's not a live journal. It's not just like these thoughts that come out of my brain. I literally spent a lot of time crafting that garden. So you're the curator. I'm the curator. How do your exes feel about that? <laughs> None of my business. <laughs> <laughs> but they have their own garden. You know what I mean? Like they Bitch, have. No own. one reads their garden, no one visits. <laughs> <laughs> no one's inside of that I don't shit. know because it's none of my business. So I don't have a relationship to their garden. What are these they metaphors? <laughs> Stop talking about garden. It reminds me of the secret garden. I'm getting allergies. <laughs> oh I know so bad. Um, speaking of derelict, uh, I want to <laughs> talk about, um, uh, I want to pivot to like a conversation about bodies because a lot of, a lot of what we talk about when we talk about food and feeding comes with like nutrition comes with like care and the, the kind of like actual scientific ways that like it, you know, you know, what Why I don't know, what I don't know. It's like, tell me how digestive, digestive system works. Um, but like the, the, this, this book brings up bodies in a certain way that made me uh, think about Roxane Gay, actually, in her book, Hunger. And she says in the book, um, your body is constantly and prominently on display. People project assumed narratives on your body and are not at all interested in the truth of your body, whatever that truth might be. Mm -hmm. And I thought a lot about how when you talk about, I mean, you even say in your book, um, oh, stop, I'm worthless. I'm sorry for for breathing thing is your is your lol truth wait what is that it what what if letting out the what in, what if letting out the teebs is reconnecting to the monkey bar swing singer before yeah, yeah, yeah. shame shame knew your name yeah 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 and yeah, yeah. i just yeah i don't know i just want you to like react to that like how do you feel about like be bodies and how do you like, feel about your body <laughs> body body's perception how I they love influence it. it's the, the only body, one this, that i got this damn work. it like, <laughs> <laughs> but um that i i love that you brought out that uh, that um line in particular because it was it was about it was about body and it was about shame and it was about persona and it was about being loud and it was about diminishing yourself and feeling like when you are in some way shape or form marginalized in a country a white supremacy in a misogyny in homophobia etc if you occupy those spaces there are forces that are trying to literally make you diminish yourself mm. and that so you do its work for it you're Ooh. doing white supremacy's work for it by diminishing your own voice and i felt like i did that for so fucking long i just mm -hmm. i thought like i thought i was mousy and I thought I was shy and I thought I was hesitant and I couldn't raise my hand in class and I wasn't one of the people who could go into the center of a room and dance like I'm a wallflower you know like I had wow. eaten that narrative but mm. there was a, a version of me who existed that and that was a reaction to shame and that was a reaction to homophobia and that was a reaction to misogyny and that was a reaction to white supremacy and that was a reaction to anti-indigeneity and that was a reaction to imperialism and once i started to <clears throat> write 
Our friend Shira Ehrlichman talked about how writing her book, Odes to Lithium, writing it out made her, uh, gave her the strength to say the name of her medication without stigma, right? And I felt like writing these books, this is the culmination of these four books that I set out to write in like 2014 or whatever, that writing them allowed me to at first create what I thought was this persona of Teebs. Somebody who could get up in front of a crowd, somebody who could be self like without self-consciousness, somebody who could be loud, somebody who could be funny, so could it be the center of attention, somebody who could be sexy. And I, I was like, that's somebody that I could put on. That's not somebody who I am. And it's by this last book that I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was me. that was me as a kid. Right. That was me on the monkey bars. Right. You know what I mean? That was me at the bus stop with my cousins telling stories. That was me like without that veneer of self-consciousness because it wasn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a victim of fucking the United States or, or like I hadn't mm. internalized that victimization mm. or whatever. And so it was like writing these and being loud and like getting on stage and being on tour and doing this podcast with y'all. I was like, no, this isn't, the persona, this is the me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's who I am. Yeah, I get to be introverted and shy and quiet or whatever because I go inside my own shell, but that ain't me. It Don't ain't me, talk babe. to Tommy after the show, though. But it was like, but that, that, was, that was the thing. It was about like, and I think we, we're all going through journeys like this, mm. right? Where we, when we come into spaces of our power or we come into um, outlets of our power or we come into like, you know, cooking and providing for people and reconnecting with people and understanding the, 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 the value, not of just our lives, but that, that we continue in the future and that we want to see it together. Yeah. You know, thank you, team. Thank that you so much. Job. Thank you and all of you. Uh, we have reached the very end of our meal together. I'm full, but I feel like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Dennis knows how I feel. Dessert segment, and for dessert this week, we just want to shout out Bowen Yang on SNL. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Friend of the pod, former co host Bowen Yang, has been blazing trails and was a writer on SNL and now is a standing cast member. Is the first, uh, the first gay Asian to be on SNL, is also just queerifying every single sketch with Julio Torres and other gay stuff. It's really phenomenal. And it is just like so funny the one where he is on weekend update playing the tariffs expert from china (laughs) and like legendary like does an accent but it's not racist and is campy and gay but not like in a fucked up way it's just like playing all of these lines where everything could be wrong Mm-hmm. But it's so right. Mm-hmm. It's so it's right. so right. And I'm ne- you never see anything. You see that on like improv night at some East Village dumb shit where you have to <laughs> where you have to sit through like three hours of horrible yes anding to get to the yeah. one genius thing. And now it's like kids oh, growing right. up in Indiana. Yes. Or you see, yeah, you see yes. that you see that on somebody's like YouTube channel or something or other. It's like, but it's not writ large in culture. It's in culture. Yeah. It, it's just it's and, everywhere. Ugh. 
It's, there was it's, that motherfucking Sarah Lee one that oh, like, oh was my in. God. And then also like co-wrote and it was just like you first of all, I love I, I love the the I, I just I'm just like wondering the the, the pitch meeting that week yeah, where yeah, he's yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yes. you're the social media manager for like Sarah Lee. But also With Lauren, you, by the way, right. who is like mm-hmm, <laughs> and, but you can't but, the, but okay, but you there is there's like a poor relationship between your personal account and the Sarah Lee yeah, corporate yeah, account. Yeah. And but you you keep posting on like Joe Jonas's like <laughs> yeah. they like destroy me daddy like <laughs> rail me until i die <laughs> and like for harry styles to be down yeah also yeah. and then yeah. just but the thing is like that's what happens we talk about a lot of times what we talk about on this podcast is like stuff like you know queer representation and representation from marginalized folks and people of color and it's like when we are not only in char- not when we're not only the actors but when we're the writers and yeah. we're in charge mm-hmm. of those um depictions they get to be funny and multi-layered and multifaceted and so true and then also yeah. just like every fucking where yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah also it's just so radical that we're doing this on snl that yeah. like that like I snl is like i don't think we understand it like when we watch pose we're like oh my god pose is such a good show it's like cultural phenomenon like there's a very small section of the of the country that's actually that's watching yeah. pose mm-hmm. like snl yeah the fact that wreck yeah. me daddy is a phrase <laughs> me daddy <laughs> was uttered on SNL. Like, I just want everyone to, like, fathom how actually radical that yep. is. Like, please send Bo and Yang literally all your love in the DMs. Like, DM him, even if you don't know him, and just send him lots of love yeah. because he needs it because he's overexposed to a very big portion of the country that, yeah. like, a lot of our other, like, you know, gay social media famous people, like, are not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's fucking radical. And him and Julio and all the other folks that kind of, like, push those narratives forward, like... Oh my god! And yeah, it's, amazing. it's like the it's like when you look at SNL social, which I've been doing, they're the most popular things. Yes, it's every like, time. It's like they're beating out it's, every other sketch that week. It's like the the thing on a Weekend Update was like the thing that SNL was pushing that week, and it's yeah. just like that notion that like not only is it on a thing that has such wide exposure, but that it's like the best thing on that thing. Yeah, SNL yeah. is so. Boring. Basic. Oh, I'm watching SNL again now. I know. (laughs) Also, can we take a minute to like fucking admit that like if you were letting queer people take these kinds of roles for many years, all of these things would be the best fucking thing. (laughs) Like, this is not new that queers are fucking talented and more innovative than anybody else. And my favorite (laughs) thing... Sorry, but it's true. Imagine being straight in 2019. Ugh. I'm exhausted. Imagine the horror. But, like, also, one of the things I love about Bowen's Bowen's skits is that you can literally, like, I don't know who writes what, like, I I have no real way of knowing who writes what sketch, right? But we know that Bowen is writing and acting. And you can tell, I mean, I think the real tell is that just about every sketch that Bowen writes probably, I would say, has the word daddy in it, which I'm (laughs) completely here for. Completely here for. That is the tell if you didn't know. We love you, Bowen. You're super talented and funny. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé, the Strand Bookstore. I guess so, Tin House you. Books. You know, that's cool, too. Um, and our new home at iHeartRadio. Woo! Our producer is Alexandra Vidon De Palma. <laughs> 
A spicy meatball. <laughs> it's a prosciutto. Our production manager is Elizabeth the Raspberry White Claudine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our um, our social media manager is Christina, the manic pixie bisexual Tucker. Is, I mean, that is just <laughs> subscribe, same. rate, and review us on iTunes. Or Joe never shows his nipples again. I'm not tonight. I'm not. <laughs> You're welcome. I was expecting that you were. Oh, That's no, why I'm I wrote sorry. that. I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs H E Y T E B S on all relevant social media. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. on Instagram and Twitter. Please stop adding me on CoStar. Like, <laughs> do not, do, not do that. Like Keep literally, I'm not joking, hundreds of people. I'm just like, <laughs> this is not information you need to have. Goodbye. <laughs> oh. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. And I'm Dennis Norris II, and you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden, T-H-E-E-A-R-L-D-E-N-D-E-N. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read or Gay Sluts Horad, however you want to read that one. Uh, join us on Facebook and I know, and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, where each week we pin some questions at the top of our page to continue the discussion of this week's main topic. <laughs> Sign up for our newsletter to see a list of everything we're reading and some <gasps> extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com as always that's food the number four and thoughts about how T-H-O-T thank you for coming thank buy you. a book I'll be seated here have it signed have a buy good night get some drinks thank I don't you so know. much ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.